Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. So you have, um, initially you had two vineyards, one of which yep. uh, um, is in St. Helena, one of them um, is here, and then you acquired other properties along the way? Yeah, uh, back to my dad's skill set. Yeah. My dad likes buying and selling things. Uh-huh. So he took a lot of his rent-a-car properties, transferred those into vineyard properties, and then would sell one vineyard and buy another. And he's he works on it every day. He's really good at it. It's like uh, a reality version of Monopoly. <laughs> so, yeah, we have vineyards in the St. Helena Appalachian, the Rutherford Appalachian, where we are right now, Oak Knoll. Mm. And then we have a vineyard in Kenwood right over the hill and just acquired a new one in the um, Petaluma Gap sub-Appalachian in Napa. Nice. And we're really excited about the new vineyard in Petaluma Gap because uh, we're going to grow, uh, it already grows world-class Pinot. Yeah. And we're planting some Chardonnay. So if you look at our entire portfolio, we'll have our Bordeaux varieties and our Burgundy varieties. That's really interesting. Um, first of all, Petaluma Gap, is, as you pointed out, you know, sub, be long overdue because such a unique confluence of climate it's and awesome. geography. <clears throat> so you clearly were paying attention. This yep. acquisition came about, I'm sure, after much thought and consideration. Yeah, and then once again, my dad identified the property, wanted to buy it. They couldn't agree <coughs> upon a price, and he doesn't give up. And he kept on it and on it and on it and uh, got a really good deal on it which makes it feasible for us to use it as a source of grapes for our winery. <coughs> so how many wines are in your portfolio? You know, off the top of my head, uh, I don't even have an answer for that. So we were talking about your portfolio, and it's so extensive that you said I can't... Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've made lots of different wines. So basically, through our distribution network, um, Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot... Uh, Cabernet, um, we make our Leonardini Estate Cab, and then our red blend called Tre Leone. So basically five wines through okay. distribution. Um, then through the winery, uh, our direct-to-consumer channel, which is now called, um, used to be called just Tasting Room Sales, uh, <laughs> Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Malbec, Zinfandel, Petit Verdot, uh, Several vineyard designated um, Cabernets. Uh, yeah, we have a bunch of different stuff. So, what motivates the decision behind making a large number of SKUs? So, to have the five wines through distribution um, is a pretty good number. Um, to uh, we, we laugh because distributors are really big. Um, I have no power over them whatsoever. We just have to have high quality wine at a good price and sell it effectively through that channel that they have all set up. So we have to pretty much abide by their rules, which I've become really good at. Um, But then when people come to the winery, uh, it's not just a tasting, it's a whole experience. And we have different venues to try wine, like this room we're in right now. Uh, We have our outdoor area, which we're doing some great improvements to uh, in the near future. Uh, we have our tasting room, which uh, 
we've upgraded it over time, but um, is the way tastings used to go. Years and years ago, people walk in, they belly up to the bar. Uh, we have a club room, which is upstairs, uh, where we entertain our wine club members and do some special events that being on the second level, we kind of get the view of the whole valley, yeah. which is great because it's up above. But to answer your question, when people come to the winery, uh, they'll say, hey, I saw your Sauvignon Blanc on the shelf at home and the Cabernet, do you have anything different? And then that's where all the different varieties come in and the, all the different price points. I knew that there was a very thoughtful yeah. answer to that. It wasn't just like, hey, we made different varieties because we felt like it. there was right. definitely a lot of rationale behind it. Yeah, and then uh, we have a really good winemaker. He's been with us uh, three years now. His name's Jason Moulton. Okay. And, uh, you know, he has great wine education, really smart guy, um, very personable too. So he's like the full package and great winemaker. So he can make everything. So let's talk about the trade side because your prowess is so formidable. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people are wondering what that world is truly like. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's very complex, the whole matrix of those relationships, but we'll just delve a bit into it. Let's just say that there's uh, a small winery that's really looking to break into the distribution game. Right. What advice would you give based upon your experience? What does that world look like? Um, well, I've been working on our network for like 26, 27 years. Huh. So I started, and I was in my 20s, <laughs> mm -hmm. like mid-20s. So I started in a different era. Yeah. So I haven't launched a new brand in this time we're in right now, but um, there are lots of products from all over the world yeah. and the distributors basically get to pick and choose what they want in their portfolio. Mm. And this goes to the difference between having 150 wineries in Napa to now over 500 and then hundreds or thousands of more brands. Most distributors now already have their Napa portfolio covered or full. Sure. So breaking into it's hard and I'm with the top level distributors. Um, we're teamed up with Young's Market, um, Republic National Distributing Company, and Breakthrough Beverage, and then a few small guys in between. But breaking into those big ones right now uh, is really, really hard. Would you say don't do it? Focus on DTC, which is direct to consumer. Uh, I would never say don't do something because there's always an opportunity. Yeah. And you have to sell wine through all the channels. So it's um, making good wine, meeting people face to face. Uh, getting your foot in the door and then together growing your relationship with that distributor. So they in turn make money off it, we make money off it. And then uh, all the salespeople who are actually the boots on the ground, you have to gain their confidence too because they're not always seen, but they're a really important piece of that channel that are face to face. So as much as everything is tech oriented now, our industry a lot of our rules and patterns uh started right at the end of prohibition yeah. so it's sitting down with that wine buyer at the restaurant or the wine store having a relationship and then they drag me in with them and i get to make my presentation and hopefully those accounts pick it up so at the end of the day it's really about relationships it is and i hated hearing that alana i hated it when i started because i didn't have any yeah and now i have lots and then when people cross into Okay, it's a business relationship. Now it's my personal friend and I've met their wives and kids and do out activities outside sales with them. 
they just sell your wine and you don't really have to, my dad will bust me for this, I really ha don't have to do so much with a lot of those good customers. Yeah, but you've invested. I have. You've nurtured those relationships, that's why it didn't just come about. No, and then back to, thank you, and then back to the beautiful Napa Valley, yeah. they all come here. Of course. So this is where living near the winery is great. Um, get to entertain a lot yep. at the winery. We have way too many good restaurants around here. Napa complaining. It's like, where do we go? They're all great. <laughs> um, and then those same guys and gals bring their spouses and their families and you get to nurture that relationship. What do distributors look for in the business side of it? Is it the size of production, the price point ratio when they can have the margin they're looking for? Is there any identifiable criteria that you've learned works? Um, they're looking for good partners. Oh. And then you have to have a feasible product that will sell in the marketplace. I see. And it's quality and um, the price of the wine, of course. And then if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing, it's kind of, I try to explain this to friends in other industries. It's like, we grow the grapes, we make the wine, I sell it to the distributor, and then I have to travel on my own dime and help them sell it. Yep. So it's kind of counterintuitive compared to a lot of other industries, but it is how ours works. So yes. you gotta go out there and do the work. And I've spent um, thousands and thousands of days on the road. I've flown millions of miles and um, pros and cons to each. Um, so I've done, I've done that work. So there's your answer, soup to nuts. Yep. One time when it goes from, you know, grape to glass and then it starts all over again when you get to sell the yep. final product and that's a whole cycle onto itself. It is, it is. And uh, once again, it's really fun. I keep using that word. So yeah, and we're lucky here. And the other thing the distributors want to identify is, you know, do you have a legitimate, reasonable business with a plan? which we do, we've talked about that a lot, and then owning our own vineyards mm -hmm. and actually having our own building with people and a winemaker and barrels. And so we do the whole thing from A to Z and that's what they want to identify with. Very important. So we're not just some flash that's gonna come in, buy some grapes, uh, bottle it up, and then fl flip our brand to another uh, another company. That's not our business goal. Very important. So you exercise control. You, you, you have a built-in system where you yeah. have a say in every aspect of production and distribution. We do. And then uh, if we don't have a good partner with a company, then we switch and move on and find another one. Again, ideal case scenario. And your dad set, set it up that way. Yep. Yep. And then back to foresight of my dad, um, with my dad being in the car, rental business, which he did really well. I always thought my dad would own car dealerships. Yeah. And his thing was, well, you can own the car um, dealership and then the factory can open one across the street. So he couldn't control everything. And I was actually bummed at my dad because I always thought I'd be in the car business and I love cars. So, but by buying the winery and growing our grapes, we can control everything. And winery ownership is a really tough business. There's so much more that meets the eye. It's yeah. very high cost business. It is. It's January. We talk about that every day. Yeah. And to run it so efficiently, uh, again, part of me wishes that your dad 
who teach or at you know Sonoma State or someplace like that, because those lessons are so valuable to people that want to be in the business. They are, and then um, yeah, my dad. Um, He's still very involved, and my dad and my sister and our general manager, all of us, but mostly my dad and my sister work on the operation stuff. Oh, and my sister's really good at it. You know, you really, to me, as a poster child of success, the way that I define it anyway in Napa Valley, and it's not tied to even the phenomenal vineyards that you chose to buy, I'm not discounting that, or the production size. It's a mindset. It's that acumen that dictates those leadership points and really lays out foundational pieces of the master plan yeah. that makes everything else you know, more cohesive and work together, as opposed to saying, wow, what a beautiful place, I want to start a business there. That's not how White Hole Lane Winery works. No, and then, um, you know, it actually, having the winery and living in Napa complements my work travel a lot. Yeah. Because life here is, uh, we have spectacular weather and a lot of our customers come here. So it's pretty funny when um, I'm at home, I do all my outdoor activities and work and I don't really go far. I'll go to Southern Napa, I'll go up towards Calistoga and I don't really leave. And then um, I travel all over the country. So it's like when I'm leaving, I'm going to the airport, I'm going far. So. And you do it very much by choice. You, you wouldn't, I know that you're part of the fabric of this business and such like that, but right. it's still a choice that you make every day to pursue. Uh, for the work and the travel stuff? Well, I mean, to be who you are oh. in that context. Uh, yeah, and I'm lucky that uh, because it's our family's business, is um, I get to be me at yeah. all times, whether it's work, friends, fun, or... Um, being the sales guy and then the common word that uh is wrapped through everything right now is authenticity yeah and we have that you do and it, it just permeates everything yeah it's real um, on the consumer side which is the most important arguably it is they're the ones that pay the bills yep so early on you've established yourself as a champion of the consumer from my perspective thank because you you always had quality product at a great price, great Thank hospitality, mm -hmm. while other wineries are still trying to find their sea legs in that realm. Right. Where did that come from? Uh, I think a lot of our culture at the winery is uh, from our family culture of, yeah. once again, working hard, treating others with respect. We like to have fun, <laughs> uh, drinking great wine, and eating good food. So that's a big element of it, uh, mm -hmm. treating your employees with respect. Very important. Um, you want to lead them, but also let them lead others mm -hmm. and give them autonomy. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. And then back to my dad is just having a consistent plan with a solid financial backing. Yeah. And make your decisions and execute it, move forward, and make adjustments along the way. Absolutely. So... Um, Again, we talked about the 90s scene that you entered. You were pretty good about not, not increasing your prices when everybody else were starting to charge a lot for Napa, particularly Cabernet and Cabernet Blends. Yeah. What was behind that decision? Uh, that's a sensitive question. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean it in a good way. So part of having so many wineries mm -hmm. and so many people and giant corporations and international people 
um, is there are lots of different opinions that come in. Of course. And um, Napa Valley has a very rich, long history. Mm -hmm. um, you could argue Cabernet Sauvignon is the greatest grape on earth. Um, so, how do I answer this nicely? Um, a lot of wine in Napa is really, really expensive. Mm -hmm. And so when you see the prices of that wine, then you can look at the international marketplace, mm -hmm. what it's competing against, mm -hmm. and the history of all of those wines, French and Italian mostly. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're gonna charge a lot of money for it, um, it better be there. Yeah. And then a lot of it isn't, to me. And I can't name names, of course, uh, but people come and go. There are some awesome wines from Napa that are really expensive that get it and they've earned it. It's not a luck thing. And then people try to emulate that model and it's a very challenging one. Um, what I see through my travels is there's lots of really good wine out there mm -hmm. from all over the world especially within the last decade as technology comes in and the skill of your average winemaker has gone way up. Um, but Napa is a significant portion of the wine market, but you're competing against the whole world as your prices go up and up. I'm just, I'm trying to sort of delve into the decision-making process because I'm so fascinated by how you um, design in a very master plan kind of a way your overall strategy you were getting compatible scores with some of the very very famous wineries that right. made very little wine right. just like you have and you had an opportunity at that point to just jump on it and say I'm gonna start charging X but you chose a different pathway yeah I mean we do make some wines we back to our five wines that are through distribution mm -hmm. um, most of them will be on a wine list for under a hundred dollars. Yeah. Which uh, to some people a hundred is not very much, and to others a hundred is a massive amount of money. Mm -hmm. So try to find that sweet spot, and then just deliver quality to your your customer. And you can't take the bait um, and do huge price increases. It yeah. just doesn't work. You know, when you join the business, Napa certainly was perception-wise and an upswing again sure. that huge wave that was elevating everybody right and some people jumped on it thoughtfully and some just jumped in right and I think what happened as a result is that eventually the trade community and consumer to some extent because they're influenced by the trade as well got a little apprehensive and maybe a little unhappy with that continuous rise of prices and those relationships were compromised. Yeah. Somehow you knew, either knew that or suspected that might happen, or you didn't go with that trend, or perhaps it just was your business philosophy. Uh, I think kind of all of the above. Okay. Um, and then actually being in the marketplace mm -hmm. and recognizing consumer trends outside of the Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. And our country is massive geographically, and we have different cultures and subcultures around so our whole country which is part of the fun of traveling and once again being patriots. So um, recognizing all that and figuring out how to navigate through it was, was really important. And, but once again, ultimately making high quality wine um, that we're proud of and 
working hard and hoping you get recognition through that and we do but um even after having our winery over a quarter of a century love saying that um you can't stop yeah you can't stop changing and pushing and traveling and getting out there because uh there's more change going on in america right now than probably ever yeah with everything yeah so 25 years ago and we do really well and we have an established brand i would have assumed that would be even stronger than it is right now mm -hmm. so luckily we're able to adjust and keep changing as things go and that's where it's fun to incorporate other family members that are younger and see what their trends are and what they're spotting and what they think and what type of user experience they want when they come to the winery and labels and all that yeah. stuff I love that word patriotism. I, I don't think it's evoked enough because it says so much. It's not just loyalty to the United States, but patriotic can have a lot of meanings. How do you define that? Um, so as Americans, um, I mean, I know some people do, but in general, we don't live in fear. Mm. We have a stable government. We have a stable mm -hmm. economy. We have a stable currency. Um, so that sets the foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, we can travel freely around. Um, we have things in place that force our like distributors to pay us, their customers to pay them. So it's America stuff, and that's why we have the strongest economy in the world. Yep. And we're able to thrive with that entrepreneurialism. And um, I think it's easy to take it for granted. But when you look around the world, what's going on, and see people suffering and people losing everything they have. Um, we live in the greatest country on earth. I just really want to emphasize how important this is because you're absolutely right. What you describe is the underlying foundation of trust. You trust that the bank is actually, or your vendor or your partner will pay you. Yep. As opposed to some corrupt, convoluted system like most of the world. Sure. Where you really cannot trust anyone. And therefore, how do you really build a solid business? Right. And then on the flip side, we have a massive amount of regulations that we have to adhere to, yeah. which we do. We follow all the rules by the book. So you have to do that, and then you gain from the other side, too. So. And, you know, a lot of people, again, see the wine country as something very romantic, a getaway spot, mm -hmm. and that's completely valid, and that's how it should be. Right. But I just want to also point out it's a series of small businesses mm -hmm. that are trying to make things work to the best of their ability. And supporting those businesses is really important. And yeah. at that point, you have a choice. And you can choose a business that your values align with as well as your palate. Right. Napa Valley has, as you pointed out, over 500 wineries. And from the consumer's viewpoint, how do you choose? I think you have to actually ask yourself a question first. What is it that I like? Sure. You know, both from the moral compass standpoint and purely hedonistic, which is consumptive. Sure. Um, and I think if you actually go there first and not just happenstance, I think you might wind up with some pretty special bottles of wine in your cellar. Yeah. Um, well, one fun thing that I like to do is, um, I didn't do this for a long time, but when I have friends, whether they're consumers or in the trade, come to Napa, I like tagging along with them, going to wineries. Really? To see, part of it is to learn about your competitors, I must admit. Yeah. And then um, 
to see what they offer, try all the wines. Mm -hmm. um, we have spectacular topography here. Mm -hmm. So to see mountain vineyards, vineyards in the south, um, then all the architecture mm -hmm. stuff, which is some of it's stunning. It's to see some of some people infuse their ethnic background and cultures yeah. into their properties and approaches. So back to Napa being a great destination, there's everything here. I love it that you live here, mm -hmm. but I can tell your eyes changed when you started talking about it. I know yeah. you're so energized and excited by that. Yeah. So um, I was mountain biking the other day with my son and um, got a really good friend, John Bueller, Bueller Winery, awesome property up on Pritchard Hill. Um, so we were above Lake Hennessy, the Moore Creek. Um, it's a Napa open space area. Mm -hmm. So we had a vantage point of Bueller Winery um, all the way across the canyon from like Childs Canyon up towards Pritchard Hill and took a picture of it and sent it to John. And he'd never seen that view of his winery. What a great illustration to my point. There's always something yeah. to discover. Yeah, and then I like to make fun of John. He's a great friend. I'm all, I sent the picture. I'm all, look, here's a picture of your luxury Napa Valley estate. And he said, we call it the ranch. So, and it's a great property. And family owned and similar, a lot of similarities to uh, Whitehall Lane with family and vineyards. And Again, it's so instructive. People, when they look from outside in, they view it as a, very wealthy community that's obviously gorgeous, mm -hmm. but pretty steep entry fee. I've read a study that's $880 per person to stay in Napa in, in a nice hotel and eat and drink. That sounds prohibitive. Um, so uh, it is, which is a topic a lot. And there's a, there's a bike festival coming up called uh, Campovello, oh. which I participate in. And uh, as a bike rider and a uh, winery person, so donate wine and port the events and yeah. kind of host. And it's really fun. And um, was looking at hotel rates, as people ask me, and I'm a Westin Marriott Bonvoy guy. The Westin in Napa that weekend is uh, close to $1,000 a night. Yeah, and that's that. upper mid-level without getting into all the crazy fancy awesome hotels that are in the valley so, so it napa is expensive yes how do we encourage a consumer to look past those scary numbers can they make it work mm -hmm. on a reasonable budget and visit wineries like yours because i just want them to be here so badly um there's so much value here there is there is so a lot of people day trip up from san francisco <laughs> <laughs> or our entire Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And then there are some good hotels that have more reasonable rates. Mm -hmm. Or Airbnb, right? Uh, yeah. That may be part of the solution. Which work in some parts of Napa and don't in others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, or you could stay down in some of the outlying areas. So, yes. But that is something we talk about all the time. Yeah. Especially as uh, the younger generation comes up yeah of course um one thing that we've spotted and this is an obvious trend is uh as america grows in population uh, most of the population growth is in our urban areas and then we live in this beautiful natural setting if people want to be outside yeah 
And then even right now, it's raining and it's in the low to mid 50s. If you were from, and I go there all the time, so not beating on Minnesota, if you're from the Twin Cities, <laughs> you could sit outside right now and not in the rain, but you can sit outside, try wine, um, have a blanket. Yeah. And people like that. And if you're a Californian, you're like, I don't want to be outside. But if you're from the frozen area, um, you'd sit outside. So we're incorporating more outside entertaining. I had a feeling that you're planning way ahead and you're incorporating the millennial consumer. And I know yeah. we all love that word because it's in our face so much. It is. The truth is that they are about experiential. They are about being a part of the story as opposed to just being, you know, on the outside right. looking in. Yeah. Um, so I know you're planning for it, and we are. the message here is get your butt to the valley somehow, figure out your accommodations. But once you're here, right. I think the quality of experience that you will have with wineries like yours is really lifetime memories. Agreed. Agreed. And then, they're, once again, they're wineries for everyone. Uh, I like all the family-owned ones. Yes. Those are my favorite. The big companies are great companies and they employ great people, but it's just a whole different experience. Not bad, just different. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, our, we have world-class restaurants everywhere. Indeed. And, um, but if that's not your thing either, we have, there are lots of food trucks. Yep. Um, and then we have really good markets. Yep. That... You can pick up food and go sit outside somewhere and eat. So you don't have to go to the fancy restaurant. So there, there, are, there are lots of options. Um, but Napa's expensive. There's no getting around it. I really love the message of making the experience your own. Like you said, yeah. if you do some research, and I know young people are so good at that. It's second nature. Sure. Um, you can find those inexpensive ways to actually be here. But once you're here, I promise you, odds of you falling in love... Hi. Yeah, it's spectacular. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.